Well, good morning, everyone. Kind of makes you want to join mops, doesn't it? Yeah. Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 12 today. Genesis chapter 12. And uh, we'll finish up this chapter in a few verses in chapter 13, starting in verse 10 in our reading. In verse 10 we read, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the, at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, have you ever been lied to? <laughs> I know I have. Over the years as I've met with people and worked with people, I've, I can say I've heard countless lies, sadly. Remember one guy trying to help him with his marriage. His wife was accusing him of having an affair. And she said, I know you're having an affair with Lisa. And he adamantly said, no, I am not having an affair. I'm not having an affair with Lisa. And I tried all the best I could to help them, to work through their issues. And he ended up blowing up their marriage. And it was over. Another couple did premarital counseling with them for months. Went through the whole wedding day. They get married. Everything seems wonderful and awesome. Sure enough, time goes by and their marriage blows up. Why? Because they didn't quite tell me everything that was going on behind the scenes as we're talking about various issues and concerns. One young man was talking to me. 
He'd gotten busted at a Walmart for harassing a woman. And he says, well, I didn't do it. I swear to you, I didn't do this. The sad thing, the reality was there, were, there was surveillance tape that said he did. But he, even though he knew that and he knew that we knew that, I never did that, he says. Lying to everyone and lying to himself. Beloved, it's getting harder and harder to believe most anyone anymore these days. It's become far too easy for us to be incredibly careless with what's true as we often try to serve our own interests. But we can always trust God with the truth no matter what. As we will see in our study today, even as God uses sovereign circumstances to guide us in new directions, we can still trust God with what is true. We don't need to speculate about our future or manipulate our circumstances. Unfortunately, when we don't trust God with the truth, we end up risking everything. When we misrepresent the truth, we put our families, our resources, our relationships, our future, and our testimony at risk. Instead, we need to do all we can to faithfully call on the name of the Lord with integrity, knowing that all we have is ultimately from Him. In our series, we've gone back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. We talked about the call of Abram last week, moving from primeval history from Genesis 1 through 12. Now, in chapter 12 on, we're looking at patriarchal history in the Bible. We've been following the promised seed from Genesis 3.15. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, God promised that a, a seed, a child, would come from the woman who would destroy evil once and for all, a redeemer, a deliverer. And already we've seen three attacks on the seed line since that time. Cain and Abel was the first attack, where Cain kills Abel. But of course, the seed line did not go through Abel. It went through Seth. And then the descendants of Cain started intermarrying with the descendants of Seth, and the, the ungodly with the godly, and the, the whole race was corrupted, and therefore there was a global flood God brought with a remnant of eight that came out of the ark. And then, of course, the Tower of Babel incident. Again, another attack on the sea line, trying to corrupt, the evil one trying to corrupt the sea line. And now God is still at work, though, and how will the Messiah come? Here we have this couple. The sea line came to Terah and to Abram here. But now Abram's over 75 years old and there's no child. A lot of things at risk. So let's take a look at a map and see where we are. Again, we started in Ur of the Chaldeans with Terah and Abram. Started moving north and westerly up to Haran. And now we're getting ready to move down into the area of Canaan. Down to Bethel. And then south, that little bitty peninsula south of Canaan there, that's uh, the Negev. So they're moving south there. They're going to go eventually into Egypt where they see the Nile River, and then they're going to come back out. So that's where we are. And with our study today, as we saw last week in Genesis 12, God made three promises to Abram. The promises were very clear that Abram would have many descendants. Secondly, God said that Abram and his descendants would be a blessing to all peoples of the earth. And then thirdly, and that Abram would be led to a promised land. Each account in the remainder of Genesis threatens at least one of these promises. Here in the remainder of chapter 12, we will see that all three promises are put at risk. Also notice that today's account parallels 
the account of the nation of Israel going to Egypt, you'll recall, as described at the end of Genesis and at the beginning of the book of Exodus, where there was a famine. They went to sojourn there, and Pharaoh was beset with plagues. And the Israelites were told to leave. They left and went on to worship. But today I have four sp spiritual truths for your consideration as we study what it means to trust God with the truth. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text of your word that we have to consider today. Lord, I just ask that you would help us not to miss anything that you would have for us, especially as it relates to our integrity. Oh, God, help us. We wrestle with this in various ways. So, Lord, be our God, be our teacher. Help us to be submitted to what you might say today to us through your spirit as we open your word today. Guide us, lead us, teach us. Change us, we pray, knowing that there's not one person here who's here by accident, but by your sovereign hand, you brought us together for your purposes. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time we can spend in your word. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of four today. Sometimes God will use sovereign circumstances to guide us in a new direction. That's what he does. Sometimes God will use sovereign circumstances to guide us in a new direction. This is what's happening in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. A shortage of resources. That's what a famine is, not enough food. Maybe you've had a change in your circumstance, a change in your situation a change of career. Maybe you've been laid off in the past. Maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you got fired. Somehow you lost your job. It's not often that a person has an opportunity to redefine themselves with a new direction, a new trajectory. Even though these kinds of changes can be discouraging, I encourage you to not see these events as setbacks, as much as you might see them as new opportunities and guidance from the Lord. Years ago, my oldest brother lost his teaching position over very difficult circumstances in Florida, which led him to go on to seminary. And since then, he became a church planning pastor in Brighton, Michigan, and has had a full career in ministry as he now transitions into retirement. But if he hadn't lost that job, nothing would have changed. Maybe a change in health. Some people are driven to a different climate based on health concerns or the death of a loved one. That might change your trajectory. Change in a relationship, a, a new marriage, or maybe you've just gone through a difficult divorce. These changes in circumstances for people, somehow where God might be moving you in a new direction. Over the years, God has led Kathy and I through many sovereign circumstances, eventually leading us here to Oakwood through his sovereign guidance. Years ago, I was contemplating God's call in my own life, and the building that I had my business in was put up for sale. Boom, that was the marker. I was either going to have to buy a new building or maybe you know, find a new place to rent. I was just like, okay, this is it. If I was ever going to transition to full-time ministry, now is the time. And we made the jump. God has done all the rest. God is sovereign. And sometimes God will use sovereign circumstances, perhaps even sovereign calamities, 
to guide us in a new direction. So the question here is, are you open to that? Are you open to God's guidance? Secondly, here this morning, we can trust God in the midst of our circumstances. Here we have a situation with Abram where he's not going to be trusting God. How so? Well, first of all, we don't need to speculate about the future. Uh, we'll differentiate that about considering and thinking about the future, but we don't need to speculate about it. Look at verse 11. When he's about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they will let you live. It's clear that Abram begins to doubt God's guidance and direction. So he begins to speculate about what is going to take place, about what's going to happen as he goes down to Egypt. Verse 12 is complete speculation on his part. He apparently isn't relying on the promises that God had just made to him at the beginning of chapter 12. And so Abram begins to take things into his own hands. He starts to create a fictitious world of make-believe concerning his wife that he intends to impose on the unsuspecting Egyptian. I ask you, are you a speculator creating worlds that don't even exist and in all likelihood never will exist, jumping to wild conclusions? As I've mentioned previously, living by faith means living without scheming. You're called to walk by faith, not by sight. Will we trust him in the midst of our circumstances? The question is, can God handle the future or not? The clear answer is a resounding yes. Yes, he can. So why do we try to handle it ourselves? Yes, we do need to be prudent about taking necessary steps toward the future, and we should consider implications about our decisions. But that doesn't mean that I should create a fantasy land of possibilities and then begin living there. I've seen some people create, you know, this huge, you know, sandcastle, and they take their moving truck and beep, beep, beep. They move in, they unpack, and they're living in this sandcastle that could just be blown away by the next wave. Why do we do this? Abram starts speculating. They will kill me and let you live. He sounds a little crazy. He sounds obsessed. He sounds a little maniacal in his speculations. He certainly doesn't sound like he's depending on God. Beloved, we don't need to speculate about the future. He's holding it all. Instead, we need to trust God with our future. How are you doing in this area? Are you trusting him? Are you relying solely on him for what he has for you? But secondly here, we don't need to manipulate our circumstances, and that's exactly what he's going to do here. He tells Sarai, say you are my sister, verse 13, that it may go well with me. Look, He's not looking out for her. I'm looking out for me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Say you're my sister. Now, this statement was partially true, but it certainly was not the whole truth, Right? Beloved, we don't need to manipulate people. Abram schemes first to manipulate Sarah in an effort to ultimately manipulate the Egyptians. You don't need to manipulate the truth. Let the truth stand on its own. Let the truth be sufficient. Rather, we need to trust God with what is true. 
The psalmist writes in Psalm 101.7, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. Did you hear that? This is what God says. No one who practices deceit. If you're an ongoing liar, an ongoing misrepresenter, not allowed in the house, God says. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Why? Because God is someone who always says that which is true. He will not entertain the lie, not even for a moment. By the way, the opposite of manipulating people, you know what the opposite of manipulating people is? Ministry. It's serving them. This would have been much better. Beloved, we can trust God in the midst of our circumstances. The better question is, will we? But thirdly here in our discussion, don't miss this. We risk everything when we don't trust God with the truth. Don't miss this. If you're going to monkey around with what's true, you will end up putting everything at risk in your world. First of all here, we put our family at risk, don't we? Here Abram risked his wife. In verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now you kind of think, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, the Hebrew root meaning for the word taken has the Hebraic connotation of being taken into Pharaoh's house in marriage. We will see this motif confirmed shortly in the text. But Abram knows the implications of what's going on here. He puts his own wife at risk. And we go, well, what are you thinking, man? And when we lie, when we misrepresent, we start putting our own family at risk. But secondly, we put the resources of others at risk. In verse 16, we read, And for her sake he, that is Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. He basically gets a dowry out of the deal. Hey, this is awesome. Hopefully nobody figures out we've made a little misrepresentation here. Because I'm benefiting pretty neatly on, on this. The text says he dealt well. All that was given to Abram by Pharaoh was given under false pretenses. This isn't going to go well. Thirdly, not only do we put our family at risk, not only do we put the resources of others at risk, we put other people at risk. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Afflicted, great plagues. Now, they're not enumerated here. They're not listed for us what that was. But I'm telling you, it was bad enough that they're going to do something about it. This, of course, is a foreshadowing of the many plagues to come for Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. However, in this case, the plagues came because of Abram's lie about Sarai. In the future, the plagues will come because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. But quite frankly, we're going to see that Pharaoh has more of a moral compass than Abram has here. Isn't that interesting? We put our family at risk. We put the resources of others at risk. We put other people at risk. Fourthly here, we put our relationships at risk. In verse 18, after all these plagues start taking place, 
Verse 18, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? What do you do here? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Ah, it was discovered. We don't know how it was discovered, but it was. Be sure your sins will find you out. You know how it is when you start lying. We all know this. We'll need another lie to cover that lie. And then I'll need another lie for those lies. And then I'll need another one. And you never come to the end of it. And then you start forgetting, well, what part did I lie about, which was true. And now you, you can't even tell anymore. Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? What were you doing, man? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Basically, Pharaoh says, dude, you lied to me. Now we have an all-out conflict between Abram and Pharaoh because of dishonesty. Make no mistake, beloved. When people don't believe your words anymore, your relationship with them is broken. And I'm sure you've all been there. I've been there. Someone perceives you're dishonest. Someone can't trust you anymore. They won't believe another word you say. No matter how emphatic, no matter how apologetic you are. It takes a long, long time to overcome that. I've seen marriages destroyed over that one bit of issue. I can't trust you anymore. I don't believe a thing you're saying. Even if you say you're sorry, I don't believe that because you're, you've, you are living on a mountain of lies, as it were. Beloved, it's just not worth the risk. Lies can cause catastrophic damage that is incredibly difficult to repair. Believe me, I... I'm in the business of helping people work through these things. I've had couples where it's taken me sometimes months and months and months, if not years, and it's only by God's grace if they'll reconcile. And I've seen both ends of it. I've seen where a, a couple, they just destroy their marriage because there's no more integrity. There's nothing left to hold on to to believe in anymore. It breaks your hearts as you watch them destroy their family. And you go, oh, God, do something. On the other hand, I've seen other couples who've bent their knee before God and they've submitted to him, brokenheartedly repented of their rebellion and their lies. And God brings transformation and a whole new oneness that only he can bring. I've seen it. Crazy, incredibly beautiful stories of reconciliation. But mark my word, it took months and months to work through it all. What a waste of time if we'd just been honest to begin with. But not only that, not only do we put our relationships at risk, we put our future at risk. In verse 20, what we would almost expect here is that I mean, Pharaoh could have dealt so much more harshly with Abram, but he doesn't. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And now, you know, boy, everything's in jeopardy here a little bit. The promised seed is in jeopardy. You know, will they ever have a child? Will they ever find the promised land? Uh, instead of being a blessing to the Egyptians, what are they? They're now a curse, right? 
God said, I, I want you to go and be a blessing to other people. No, you're not. You're a liar to other people. What are you doing? I've, I've tried to help people understand the implications of, of how we live and how it ends up touching things you didn't want it to touch. Our sin has tentacles. It grabs things you never intended it for, to grab. I know you've pretty much all of you have seen the movie Back to the Future, right? You've seen that movie. I don't necessarily recommend it, but you've probably seen it. But there's that scene where Marty McFly has in his pocket, his coat pocket, he's got a picture of his family. And because his mother and father back in the past might not meet at the under the sea dance, and fall in love, the family's in jeopardy, and people are starting to disappear out of the picture, including himself. And I don't, I'm pretty sure that's not how it actually works, right? It doesn't really work that way, right? We understand that. But you know, there's a warning in there for us to have a clue about. If we're not careful how we live and how we love and how we guard our integrity, there are people in your world that can slowly start disappearing. This stuff matters. It doesn't matter just for right now. It can end up mattering for eternity. We put our own futures at risk, things that we don't know about. Beloved, we need to trust God. We need to trust God with what's true. But lastly here on this section, not only do we put everything at risk, we destroy our testimony. We destroy our testimony. Where is God in all of this? In this account, where is God? We know that God will one day reveal his power to Pharaoh in the future, but what taste does Abram leave with Pharaoh about God or about God's people right here, right now? It's a horrible legacy Abram's leaving. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Oh man, I just want to delight him with what's true. I don't want to be an abomination. Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We belong to each other in the house of God, especially we should say that which is true and honest. But beloved, understand, we risk everything when we don't trust God with the truth. Lastly here this morning, we need to do all we can to continue to call on the name of the Lord because that's where Abram's going to end up here. As we turn to verse 1 of chapter 13 now, first of all here, it is only by God's grace that we have what we have. In light of the fact that you're here and you have all that you have, that's by God's sheer grace. You know, we like to think, well, I'm a self-made man or I, you know, I've, I've created all this wealth and I've made my own way. You... The only reason you have anything is because of who he is and what he's done for you by his sheer grace. It's only by God's grace that we have what we have. So Abram went up from Egypt, it says, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with them into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. How is that possible? He does the wrong thing and God blesses him anyway. This is where God is and this is what he's capable of doing. Will you trust him and do what's right? or leave a wake of destruction behind you. He should have been dealt with a lot more harshly, but 
God is gracious. Abram should have lost everything with the Egyptians. It was only by God's sheer grace that Abram and his wife and all they had were not destroyed. But not only that, it is only by God's grace that we have a place to go. I don't know what your circumstance is and what's unfolding for you, where he has you and where he wants you to go, where he wants you to be. It's only by his grace that you have anywhere to be or to go. Verse 3 says, And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. (laughs) Wait a minute. I went through all that and I just end up back where I started? No progress. They all went back to where they started. And sometimes we do need to start over. Sometimes we need a, a reboot, restart. But not only that, don't miss this. It is only by God's grace that we can still worship him. Notice he goes back to where he came from just a little while before. And so now he's back. And so what's he do? Well, last time, you know, before I messed everything up, well, I was worshiping. Oh, yeah, that's what I should be doing. It says, verse 4, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. That's where he ends up. That's where he should have stayed the whole time as he trusted God. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Psalm 32, 6, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. You mean there's coming a time where we might not be able to find you? I didn't write it. That's what it says. So seek him while you can, while he can be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Paul says to the Philippian church in 2.9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where he's always wanted you. He wants you at his feet worshiping him for who he is. Had he just done that, how things might have been different. Sometimes we don't know what God is doing in our lives. We don't know how he's working. What's the point of what you're going through? There were years ago at a church in Wisconsin, the pastor's son who I'd been meeting with for months and months and doing Bible studies and discipleship, he was in a terrible car accident. And uh, quite frankly, it was a miracle that he and his friends walked away from it okay. The car was completely total as they rolled it. I was in the church office talking with them about what had happened. And this is what he said. He says, I just don't understand why God wanted my car to be totaled. I said, dude, you're asking the wrong question. You need to be asking, why is it that God still wants you here for his purposes? Oh. That kid went on to be a church planner, which is pretty cool, by God's grace. What is God doing in your world? What is he showing you? Will you find yourself once again worshiping him for who he is? That's all he's ever wanted. People come into my office, and some of the stories I hear, I wouldn't wish these stories on anybody. And yet here they are, wrestling with issues. And I just say, boy, I, do, I wouldn't wish this on, <laughs> on anyone, but if this is where God has you for you to find your place at his feet, so be it. Where you should have been all the while worshiping him, 
trusting him, walking with him. Remember that first guy I told you about, well, I, I'm not having an affair with Lisa. Marriage blows up. Years later, he came, and I don't know what brought, why he came to my office. He, he wanted to talk to me. He goes, yeah, I need to confess something to you. Remember when I said I wasn't having an affair with Lisa? Well, I wasn't having an affair with Lisa. It was with Deb. Oh, great. In his, well, I wasn't lying. Yeah, but you're a liar. Then the crazy thing was, he was there, he said, because I, I want to fix things back with my wife. I want to I fix my marriage. Can you help me with my marriage? And I asked him, well, what's your circumstance now? Well, I'm living with this other woman now. So I said, well, when are you going to move out and you know, start over with that? Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I, what? I, you know, have a nice day, sir. I don't think I can help you. You're not willing to follow him at all. You just want things the way you want them under your circumstances and your pretense. Second couple I mentioned who they lied to me about their premarital counseling. Years later, they confided in me, we never told you everything that was going on in our marriage. And of course, there's no way for me to help them if you're not going to tell me what's going on. And so their marriage was destroyed. The third guy, remember the third guy? Caught him on video. Years later, finally the guilt comes to him. He finally goes, hey, Pastor Brad, I, I really did do it. I'm like, I know you did it. We all know you did it. God knows. Why don't we just start with what's true? Why don't we go there and stay there? Can we be a people that's devoted to that, to integrity, devoted to honesty and uprightness, saying what's true? I hope so. I hope so. I hope we can be that kind of people. Even as God uses sovereign circumstances to guide us in new directions, we can still trust God with what's true. We don't need to speculate about our future or manipulate our circumstances. Unfortunately, when we don't trust God with the truth, we end up risking everything. When we misrepresent the truth, we put our families, our resources, our relationships, our future, and our testimony at risk. Instead, we need to do all we can to faithfully call on the name of the Lord with integrity, knowing that all we have is from Him. And so I ask you, what new circumstance is God guiding you through even right now? What's your deal? What's your story? Will you resolve to trust him in the midst of these new circumstances, no matter what? How can you protect your family? By trusting God. How can you recognize God's grace in your life as you call upon him? Will you trust God with the truth this morning? Would you please stand as we close our service? <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we know that you are God and that you are not a man that you should lie. Your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. Lord, we thank you that we can count on that, that what you say is so. Lord, I pray that we could be a people that that would be the case. 
that we do all we can, especially in this congregation, to speak the truth in love, as your word says. Come alongside each other in integrity, with kindness, with grace. Lord, help us to learn from these examples. Matter of fact, we're told in your word that that's why we have these accounts, that we might learn how to trust you and follow you. And Lord, may you receive all the glory as we entrust ourselves to you. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who indeed is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And Lord, that, I pray that that would be the case for all of us in this room, that we've all bent our knee in worship of your Son, and that he paid our debt once and for all, that we might have life, that we might be reconciled to you, that we might finally be able to walk in truth. Lord, we need your help to do this. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need to be empowered by your Holy Spirit in us through faith, and may that be the case. Help us to speak the truth, Lord. Be full of integrity. Help us to trust you with what's true. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for the challenge that it presents for all of us. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and glorious name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.